I would like to, uh, first of all, thank you all, uh, our dear brothers and sisters here at Hillcrest Christian Church in McKinney, Texas, for the warm welcome we have received this morning and for your generosity. Uh, this is one of the most generous churches I have ever been associated with personally, and I've been associated with churches for a long time. First, back in the uh, early 1970s uh, with Old East Christian Church, our or your predecessor here, and uh, I thank the uh, good uh, Miss Owens for teaching me how to look up Bible verses real quick uh, <laughs> back in Sunday school class and uh, back in the early 1970s. And remember the love musical that we sang here, or the high school kids sang here back in 19. 72, I guess it was, uh, and uh, we, were, we sang a few songs out of that musical just the other night, and my wife played through it, and it was a phenomenal uh, musical. It was avant-garde in 1971 when it was published, and it was avant-garde in 1972 when we sang it, and it's still avant-garde. Blessed are those who love the Lord our God with undying love. And that's what I think of whenever I think of this church. Also, whenever we're here or whenever we just think of you, uh, we think of your undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried, and on the third day, according to the scriptures, was raised to uh, bodily raised to a new life, eternal life, that we may have eternal life. And that's the gospel gospel of Jesus Christ. We are international student mission in Tübingen, uh, West Germany, or Germany, western part of Germany, southwestern part of Germany, about 30 miles southwest of Stuttgart, Germany. Stuttgart is famous, a bigger city of about 600,000. Our city, Tübingen, is a smaller city of maybe 90,000. And uh, Stuttgart is well known for German cars. How many of you drive a German car here? Anybody buy a drive a German car? Nobody? Okay. Uh, two net, you can name German cars here. Two famous German cars are one. No. Okay, wrong answer. That is a German car, but not in Stuttgart. Another one? No, that's in Munich. Okay. Mercedes, that's it. That's it. Mercedes, Stuttgart, Germany. All right. And a fast German car, very fast German car. Anybody drive one? Porsche. Anybody drive a Porsche here? No. Okay. No. Anyway, okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> okay. Also uh, Stuttgart, made in Stuttgart. Anyway, uh, we're about 30 miles south of Stuttgart. So as, you know, McKinney is to Dallas, as Tübingen is to uh, Stuttgart. Uh, a little bit smaller in both, uh, both places, though. Uh, Tübingen is a university city of about 90,000 and about 30,000 students, university students. That's like one-third of the population. And of those almost 30,000 students, there are about 4,000 of them that are international students. And so our mission is to reach, because we are international, American, a Texan here, and my wife is Japanese, uh, to uh, reach out to international students at this German university with very uh, lots of international students. And that's kind of what our mission is. And in fact, every time we're here, which is always in the... Uh, odd numbered years. Okay, this is 2019. Last time we were here, we were over at Mark's Bible study, 2017, 2000 years ago. We were here in 2015, I believe, 2013, etc. 
and uh, on the odd number of years we're here uh, visits, visiting stateside, and uh, it's, it always seems maybe for those of you who are regulars here, it seems like our presentation is always basically the same, and it is. Uh, only the names are changed because students, uh, there's a river that flows right through the center of our city, Tübingen, and uh, it's called the Necker River, and I always say the Necker River flows into Tübingen. The Necker River flows through Tübingen. The Necker River flows out of Tübingen. Isn't that philosophical? Okay. Uh, and that's what happens, really. Literally, uh, international students, university students of all kinds, German students, just float in, float through, and float out. So our congregation is also kind of like that. There's also a, always a steady stream of people, always a steady stream of international students. But we have a limited time frame to preach the gospel, invite people, invite people, invite people, preach the gospel, invite people, invite people, preach the gospel, invite people, invite people, preach the gospel, invite people. You getting the message? <laughs> and suddenly in the middle of all this inviting, inviting, and preaching and teaching, then something amazing happens. You know what happens? Somebody actually hears the message. Somebody actually starts to put it together. And amazingly, the Lord opens somebody's heart. I want to say thank you very much to the worship team today for putting together at the very beginning uh, the uh, worship thought about how the Lord opens hearts. And uh, despite all of our busyness of inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting, preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching, inviting, 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 and all this flow of people, amazingly, unbelievable, every single time, the Lord opens people's hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's our sermon text today. It's from a missionary story in the uh, missions book of the Bible, which is the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, from uh, Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 6 through 15. And maybe I could probably just read it for you here. Apostle Paul and his companions, one of whom was the Apostle Silas, uh, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, having been hindered, prohibited, by the Holy Spirit, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. That sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? Uh, and so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Maybe Paul and Silas are kind of down. I would be. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul, had, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. 
and we stayed there several days. And in the meantime, this we is the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, who is Luke the doctor, okay? Interesting little how that they becomes a we, okay, for those of you careful Bible readers. And on the Sabbath, we, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a, a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Eighteen years ago, Naomi bought us a microwave oven uh, with the money that people from our church in Tübingen had given us as a wedding gift at that time. And one evening as she was unpacking the microwave oven and setting it up in the kitchen, she realized that we had little room for it because our kitchen is so small. We have a kind of a relatively small apartment. And so Naomi asked me for my advice. And several times I told her from my distant vantage point at my desk in our office room, no, that's not good. It won't fit. Until she got frustrated with me. And you may, wives may, may get frustrated with your husbands in this way, or wives with husbands. Uh, and still, she had enough patience with me, and I finally got up from my desk and went into the kitchen to her to take a look at the situation myself. Finally, I gave her a good suggestion that was, in the end, the best solution. And now the microwave and some other things are all in just the right place in the kitchen. And this is sometimes the way it is with God and with us. But can the Lord say also say no to us? Can we also accept Him saying no to us once or twice or maybe three times? Can we accept that? Our sermon text today is about how God opens a human heart. Our sermon text today also includes negative experiences as well until God has completed the work, His work, and his word in opening our hearts. Sermon text begins today with the journey of the apostles Paul and Silas, his companions, to, the, to Greece, to the city of Philippi, where they later got to know, first got to know Lydia. But how did Paul and the others get to Philippi in the first place? Why did they get to Philippi? Well, frankly, they at first, if you read the text very carefully, they didn't really actually want to go there. They were not intending to go there at all. They had completely different other plans. They wanted to go west to the province of Asia. And they wanted to go directly to the coast. If you look at this kind of geographically, they wanted to go westward directly to the coast to this big city, Ephesus, province of Asia. But it didn't work out. The Holy Spirit prohibited them. And then they wanted to go kind of to the northeast, Bithynia in a different, totally different direction. But that didn't work out either. The Holy Spirit didn't permit them. 
And then they decided to turn eastward, and they failed as well. And after so many no's, they could have easily just thrown up their hands and given up. But Paul and his companions were seeking God's will for their future direction. And they prayed and asked God, and God's Holy Spirit gave them a clear answer which way to go on, to Greece, to Macedonia, northern Greece. And Paul and his companions got this clear evidence And it was clear to all where they should go and what they should do. But when they arrived first in the city of Philippi, a Roman colony, there were not many Jews there. There was no synagogue. Paul always went to the synagogue first. Those of us non-Jews, we need to remember that. The Apostle Paul always went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And there's no synagogue there, so what do you do? There are no Jews there, or at least there are only very few Jews. And so what do you do if you're a Jew and there's no synagogue there? There are not ten Jewish men to start a synagogue. What do you do? It's too small. Paul always went to the synagogue first to tell people about Jesus. But God had other plans other than what Paul was used to doing. Jews of that day like Paul, also knew that when there were only a few Jews in the city, that is, not enough Jewish men for a synagogue, then they just met on the banks of a nearby river. And my mother assumed correctly, as I assume also, I assume that was basically to perform acts of ritual purity and cleansing. And so Paul and Silas go there on the Sabbath day to see if they might not just find some Jews to worship God with and then tell about Jesus. But who do, we, who do they meet there? Only a few Jews. But most of the people there were Greeks, and they were mostly women. What? How can Paul start telling people about Jesus with just a ladies' group of Greek women? Well, but with our modern Western sense of equality, we may not begin to grasp how extraordinary this was to the people and the readers of the first century in their culture and society, and to readers from an ancient Jewish background. But sometimes daily life in any culture, in any age, is much more difficult, and much more different, it's also much more complex, and often more normal than most theologians or sociologists would like to imagine. So for all of you sociologists and and historians and theologians in the audience, it's a little more complex than, sometimes a little more normal than you think, you know. And so, but the the main thing is God's ways are quite different from the way that we imagine. And when everything turns out completely different from the way Paul and the others imagine, God still does His work in opening people's hearts. And that's what we talked about at the very beginning of our worship time today. Opening, God's opening people's hearts. Lydia's there. And God is already at work on her heart and in her life so that she may believe in Jesus. In verse 15 of our sermon text today, it says, The Lord opened her heart, to respond to Paul's message. Now, of course, we don't really know that much about Lydia's 
life or her life before she became a Christian. But we can presume some things about it from what the text tells us. She's a seller of purple. What is purple? That's, you know, being a merchant woman, a businesswoman. And as a, a merchant woman, she certainly traveled a lot to sell her goods. Purple, what does that mean? Purple cloth, purple clothing were luxury articles kind of then, kind of like Rolex watches and Gucci bags today. And why is she in Philippi? Well, maybe she didn't even intend to go there either herself, but she stayed there once and for a time, and then she got to know and hit it off with a few people, maybe some other ladies, maybe some Jewish women, who also told her about God, and perhaps they, had, they made her curious about God as well by inviting her to their outdoor meetings on the riverside. And, and it's at this place of prayer on the riverside in, in Philippi that Lydia has her first experiences with God and with prayer. But she wants to learn more. She wants to find out more. She wants to make sure if this faith in God is really true or not. And in all of it, though, she fears God. Somebody asked me several years ago, what does it mean to fear God? Does that mean we should be afraid of God? Well, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. You ever thought of that? What does it mean to fear God? Uh, think about that. That's a good question. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, God is preparing Lydia's heart and Lydia's life so that she may one day hear about Jesus. And something similar has also happened in the lives of people that we know in Tübingen, in Germany as well. And to each one of them, in each one of their lives, it's a story of how God has prepared this person's heart to hear about and to come to know Jesus. One of those people is Pam. Pam is an Iranian refugee woman, a young woman, probably in her early 30s. I'm not going to tell her age exactly because I frankly don't know it. <laughs> but we baptized her in the Necker River uh, back on February the 3rd, one month ago. Uh, in February, not in the Necker River, excuse me, it was too cold for the Necker River, but we had to rent uh, another church building because we don't have a baptistry. Uh, we're going to baptize somebody else on March the 17th. Uh, in the Necker River, but uh, talking about this riverside experience. But Pam is a refugee from Iran. Now, being a Christian in Iran is kind of hard, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot of persecution there. You know, we couldn't really have an assembly like this as open as we have it maybe in Iran uh, because, it, you know, we might get a visit from the police, secret police or something. So about 10 years ago, uh, Pam was studying linguistics at the university in Iran, a Muslim, as everybody else is, of course, in Iran. And uh, during her linguistics lecture, the professor, Iranian professor, also not Christian, I suppose, uh, mentioned that, well, you know, Western literature, you know, is all based on the Bible and then went on with his lecture. Well, that kind of struck her. and She thought, oh, Western literature is all based on the Bible, so maybe I need to learn a little bit more about the Bible so I can better understand Western literature, right? And so what did she do? She went out kind of and secretly bought a Bible and kind of 
secretly read the Bible for a period of several years. And her fiancé at that time also started reading, secretly reading the Bible with her together. And he believed faster than she did. And uh, then they both escaped from Iran. He was a lawyer. He, they, they married and he was a lawyer in Iran and he escaped to uh, Greece and she was working at the airport in Iran and simply got on a flight, uh, I guess working for the airline and flew to Germany and just stayed, you know, and became a refugee in, in Germany. And then one day, this past December, she came walking into the service with five other Iranian women and suddenly there are these five Iranian women there, some of whom speak a little bit of English. She's one of the ones who speaks English a little bit better. And a few speak little German. And uh, the rest are, all of them speak Farsi, their language in Iran. So uh, I don't know, I, you know, I speak English well, I speak German very well, uh, preach every Sunday in German, but uh, I don't know, really know any Farsi. So we got any Farsi Bibles back there? Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it was about like that, okay, we're going to do our Bible reading, we need some Farsi Bibles too. So we got some Farsi Bibles and they started reading uh, together with us the Bible reading. But, you know, this is how the Lord starts preparing hearts. Uh, how did God open Lydia's heart? How does God open Lydia's heart? You know, it's a process. God is at work in her life. Lydia doesn't give up. She certainly asked questions, but she didn't let loose of it until she found answers. How did God, how does God open the heart? Why must God open the heart? Are we always, aren't we always open-minded about everything? Well, the fact is we're not always open for God not always open for His Word. Uh, the fact is, we're not always ready to listen to God's Word. We're not always ready to apply God's Word to our lives. We're often closed. We're often distracted by many things. We're hardened. We're bitter. Remember that song today that we sang, that prayer that we sang in the worship? We're often critical. We're often distrustful because we have perhaps been disappointed by other people who wanted to tell us about God, but in the end hurt us. Or perhaps some other matter is more important to us. We've got no time. We don't even want to give God a second of our attention. And this is the way our hearts are and remain closed. This is why our hearts remain closed. But still, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139. And He tests our hearts. God tests our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And if we are honest with ourselves, if we seek God, if we inquire of God, if then He allows us to find Him. The Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12 and 14. You know, a lot of people always read Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 11, you know, and quote that verse for those of you who know it. But does anybody ever read verses 12 through 14? It says there, God says, Come to Me and I will be found by you 
If we call on Him, He reveals Himself to us. He makes things clear to us through His Word, through conversations with Christians, through life situations, through changes, and even through failures and disappointments. Paul and Silas experienced this very thing on their journey before. Before they learned that they were supposed to go to Philippi. Actually, they had no plan to go to Philippi. They had no plan to come to Europe, to go to Greece. But God spoke to them through their failed attempts. Paul and Silas were certainly very depressed and very disappointed. But God showed them through a clear vision in the night the way that they should go. And Some of you today here know what I'm talking about. God opens people's hearts through our prayers, you know. Remember the prayer this morning where somebody prayed, you know, Lord, work through those names that we all submitted a couple of weeks ago for those people that we're going to pray for, for salvation. Paul and the others prayed before that the Lord would show them which way to go to continue on their travels. And the Jews and the others and the Greek women at the place of prayer also certainly prayed, God, show us how we can believe in You. Show us who You really are. Show us what we should do to believe in You. And where was Lydia in all this story? Well, she was at the river. Also at the place of prayer. You think the other ladies, maybe Jewesses, also prayed for this Greek lady, Lydia, for some time? You think Lydia herself could also have prayed for a time God, show me more clearly, more understandably who you are. This Jewish God, this God of Israel. God, help me to know you and to really believe in you. And in the end, God worked on her heart. God opened her heart that she may believe in Jesus. Today, some of us here are also thinking about certain people and we're praying for them either in small groups or where we pray as a congregation together for lots of people, or maybe in private personal prayer at home. And what a miracle it truly is when we find out that this person has finally come to know Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior and Lord. And this has happened before in the past when we've prayed for different people. So let's not stop praying for some that we think may, ne- may never know Jesus. Maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody who used to go to this church. Uh, maybe it's uh, some guy, foreign guy, who works at a gas station. Maybe it's somebody who works at a restaurant. Maybe it's uh, a neighbor that we have problems with. Who is it? Who is it? Who are you praying for? God says that in all of this, the Bible says in all of this, that God draws people to Himself. Lydia professed her faith in Jesus Christ in her baptism. That's what people that we know, like Pam and like others, did as well. God put it on her heart that when she heard the message about Jesus from Paul and Silas, that she should obey Him in baptism. And it was completely clear to her that she should now be baptized, confess her faith, that she should belong to Jesus completely 
and allow Him to change her life with Him and start anew. Faith has consequences for our daily lives, everyday life. Lydia wanted to know more. She wanted to know more than just believe and be baptized. Lydia wanted to do more. She wanted to make her life available. That's one of the things that we sang today in the worship time. Remember that? Make our lives available. That's what the dear brother uh, prayed uh, and uh, discussed in talking about our prayer time. Making our lives available to God and out of gratitude. And so the only thing that she could think of was to invite these strangers, Paul and Silas and Luke, into her home. And then the new church in Philippi had a church home right there in Lydia's house. And so other people there in Lydia's house were also affected by it. Her household, her servants, her family. Other people find faith in Jesus Christ through her. And when we have baptisms, we know that there are always other people who are affected by this. We know also that there's some people who have never seen any of these baptisms before. I've never seen it before. And they'd like to know what's so special about it. What's so different about believing in Jesus Christ? Why would this person from Iran, a former Muslim, want to give her life to Jesus Christ? We have people and we have, we have people and God changes their lives. And people who would like to know why that happens. How that happens. There are some people that we've seen and when we have baptisms, who have never seen that before and want to know how has this person changed? How have they changed so much from the person that they way, way they were before? And this is what we confess in baptism. You have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord by faith. And now you want to follow Him in all things, even in baptism. Jesus Himself was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, even though He didn't, he didn't need it. Because he had no sin, but he only wanted to obey his Father. In the year 2006 and then the year 2008, uh, this is just a couple of stories. We had two different uh, Chinese young ladies, Hong first and then Angie, who traveled great distances to come to be back again in Tübingen and to be baptized there in the, in the Necker River. But both of them came a long way in their search for God. Uh, first of all, their search for God was absolutely no interest in God. Absolutely no interest in God. And then hearing a little bit about God being invited and then coming a couple of times, ah, oh, this is boring, I'm not interested in this. And then their search for God, you know, and search for Jesus Christ went through another phase, being searching through Buddhism, searching through philosophy, searching through skepticism. And in their testimonies at their baptisms, they told us how it took several years for them to believe in Jesus and then to make a decision to follow Him in their lives and then to be baptized. And they asked lots of questions to find out more, have find faith in Jesus. But even more than that, the more astonishing thing was that Jesus found them as well. Following Jesus is more than just getting to the river or getting to the baptistry and getting a little bit wet. We follow Jesus in faith that we may become a new person in Him. How is that? When we believe in Jesus and when we follow Him, uh, we fo the things change. Things change in our life. In fact, 
a lot changes in us. We become totally different people, of course, not just in looks. Uh, maybe you look different. Maybe you start smiling more. Uh, our hearts, our thoughts, our priorities, our lifestyle and direction in life all change completely. We no longer live for ourselves, but for God and for God alone. And this is what the Bible calls repentance. You ever say that word in church anymore? Repent. Repent. You ever say that word in society anymore? In society. Out there in the marketplace. Repent. Change. Repent. Turn. Paul says that this change, this repentance occurs when we die completely to our old life, to our sins against God. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Jesus was buried and three days later, He rose again to a new life. When we believe in Jesus, this also we must do. Die to our sins. But how? Paul says that this happens in baptism when we confess our sins before God, and when other people, before other people, we declare before God and other people that Jesus died for us. And so we ask God for a clean conscience. And we confess before God and other people that we want to have a part in the matter that Jesus saves us. His way, His method of saving is the only way. We have no other possibility to save ourselves. Just like God saved Noah and, and all the people in the ark and his family only through the ark. There are no other possibilities given. Of course, we cannot go to Jesus and be nailed together with Jesus on the cross. But the Apostle Paul says that we have been crucified with Christ. We have died with Him in baptism. We are buried with Him in baptism. We go under the water and we're raised to walk to a new life when we are raised up from the waters of baptism. Everything that was before, our old life, our sins, everything that we wrongly believed about God is over and is dead. And we become new people. This is new life in faith that God gives us through Jesus Christ. This life doesn't belong to us anymore. What was the song we sang this morning? I surrender. doesn't belong to you anymore. Your life doesn't belong to you anymore. You surrendered it. You've given it up. Given it up completely. You've given it up. We have, we're like, uh, we, we no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in us, Paul says. We're like newborn babies. We're like newborn babies. The Apostle Paul says that we have clothed ourselves with Jesus. We have exchanged His life for our own lives. His life and His death for our sins and put on His new life for our new lives just like putting on a coat. We lay aside the old and we put on the new. Several years ago, three older ladies in our congregation uh, in, in a church in Tubingen had eye operations. We don't have very many older ladies in our church. Uh, but in the meantime, Naomi's even an older lady because she had cataract surgery just a couple of months ago. Okay? 
and cataracts. How many of you have, have had cataract surgery? Everybody? Anybody here? No, there are no ladies in this church, old ladies in this church, right? Nobody's had cataract surgery. Anyway, okay. All right. Uh, they had cataract surgeries, and they all told me how it was before and after, you know? Maybe you know about this. Before, you, you don't really see clearly. It seems like you got this kind of layer of fog over your eyes all the time. Is that true? For the, those of you who've had cataract surgery, is that true? Kind of got this layer of fog over your eyes all the time, you know? And that's the way it was before we know God. That's the way it is before we know God. That's the way it is before we believe in Jesus Christ. We cannot truly know ourselves. We cannot truly know other people. We cannot truly know God. We cannot truly see the truth. We cannot truly know God because all of our sins and all of our rebellion make things cloudy foggy for us. But you know, after those cataract surgeries, all the women said, ah, how wonderful it is to have new eyes. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen, who've had cataract surgery? If that is true, raise your hand, all right? You have new eyes? Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. That's the way it is when God gives us faith and begins to change our hearts and our, gives us spiritual eyes. He, God removes our cataracts from us, our attitude against Him, and we realize that Jesus has forgiven us and saved us. The Lord opens our hearts and our eyes and gives us faith in Jesus. You know, if we really don't know much about Jesus today, let us today open our hearts to God to show Himself more to us to direct us to people here. And there are a lot of people here who can explain to us more about God's Word. Let us be willing to stop and listen and ask questions and not to give up in our search for Him. And even if we know Jesus, as many of you have, some of you have known Jesus much longer than I have, and I've known Him for a long time, and some of you taught me about Him, the most astonishing thing is also that the Lord wants to use our lives along the way to point other people to Him. He wants to direct us to people whose hearts He is already opening to get to know Him. Let us ask Him today. Let us ask Him every day, Lord, direct my paths to people who you want me to help to get to know you. Lord, please open their hearts just like Lydia, just like Pam, just like many other international students in the University of Tübingen in Germany and in McKinney, Texas. Amen.